And I'll just pull out all my words. Okay. Do you know, I really love the Old Testament. If I have a choice between Old Testament and New, I really have to force myself to read the New. You might think that's terrible and fancy me admitting it, but I just love finding out about God. You know, the character and nature of God in the Old Testament. Of course, when I read the Old Testament, I read Jesus into it. I think, oh, there's Jesus there, there's Jesus there. You know, so I'm not completely a lost cause. And, um, you know, in Matthew, New Living Translation 13.52, then he added, every teacher of religious law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a person who brings out of the storehouse the new teaching and the old. So, you know, don't forget the Old Testament. There's some real gold nuggets in it. So um, today I'm going to talk about Nehemiah. So the book of Nehemiah is after the book of Ezra. So after the exile in Babylon, um, Ezra, the book of Ezra, talks about the rebuilding of the temple. So um, Zerubbabel takes the first group back from Babylon and they start rebuilding the temple. So then after that comes Ezra and those two men help build the temple or try to restore it. And now Nehemiah comes and he's a wall builder. So, uh, do you know, when we start on a project and we're building, we get really excited, you know, there's hype and you're looking forward to this new thing that's coming. But it's very different when you're going back to rebuild something, something that was really great. You know, the temple, that Solomon's temple was amazing. It was filled with good things. But, you know, Nehemiah is going back to rebuild from rubble. There's no, no gold. There's rubble. Anyway, in um, chapter 9 in um, Nehemiah to 23 to 27, now, the Israelites, I've talked about returning from Babylon. And in, in Judah now, in Jerusalem, you know, they're really doing it tough. They, the, the former glory's gone and they're really struggling. And they, they are repenting in sackcloth and they put dust in their hair. They really get into repentance. And they tell their story of God's goodness towards them and their father in their own dis, um, disobedience towards God. And I'm going to read it to you. It's some of the history of the exile and why some of it, why they got sent into exile. And I'm reading it just so you have a bit of background why they went into exile. It starts at 23. You also multiplied the children as the stars of heaven, that was God, and brought them into the land which you told their fathers to go and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and their people of the land. 
that they might do with them as they pleased. And 25, they took strong cities and rich land and possessed houses filled of all goods, citrons and yeah, already dug, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and they rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them back to you, God. Therefore you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. For they, were not, for they had not served you in their kingdom or in the many good things that you had given them or in the large and rich land that you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked works. Here we are, servants today, in the land that you gave our fathers, to eat its fruit and its bounty. Here we are, servants in it, and its yields much increased to the kings you have set over us. Because of our sins, also they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle, and at their pleasure we are in great distress. You know that, that amazing land, the promised land God gave to Israel really was a promised land. You know, they didn't have to irrigate. The, land, the water came down from the sky. You know, they, they didn't move into a bare and naked land. They moved into beautiful homes filled with good things. And, you know, they had gardens already established, vineyards. You know, it was an amazing place. It really was the promised land. So we are under a new covenant, thank heavens, you know, um, with God. Jesus paid for our sin, you know, and we have grace and mercy. But I want to just say, don't be fooled. You know, it's great that we have forgiveness, but you can't live your life on forgiveness. You know, um, God actually rewards obedience and faithfulness for him, to him. You know, he will forgive you, but the reward comes from living a life for God. And um, you can disagree with me if you like. <laughs> That's not a problem. Okay, so... Um, and, you know, some people think that Satan is, you know, the god of fun and escape, but he's not. He is a thief. And in um, John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill and destroy. I have come, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Okay, back to the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah meets with his brother. Now his brother's just come back from Judah and they're upset, they're distressed. You know, things aren't going well for the Jews back in Jerusalem. You know, they've got trouble and they're in great disgrace. And the wall that is around Jerusalem 
is torn down and the gates have been burnt. And it means they're really open. Any, anyone can come in and harass them. You know, they have no protection. And Nehemiah is really upset. He starts to mourn and weep and fast and repent. You know, he repent, starts repenting of his own sin, the sin of his family, and he reminded God of, the, of his covenant and the mercy and the love that he shows us when, he observe, when we observe his commandments. Don't forget Old Testament. Um, you know, and we've talked, Rod and I have talked a lot about covenants. You know, God honours his covenant. He will you know, honour the covenant. So Nehemiah reminds him of this. I have a covenant with you, God. And he also reminded him of what God said to Moses. Now, um, Moses said to the Israelites, if you are unfaithful to God, he will scatter you. You know, he'll extend grace for a certain amount of time. But he said to them, God will scatter you amongst the nations. And that's what happened when they got sent into exile. But, God said, if you return to me and obey my commands and live by, by them, I will bring you back. And that's what Nehemiah reminded God of, the promise that he said to Moses that if they turned to him, he would turn to them and he would bring them back and redeem them. So um, Nehemiah is the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes. <laughs> I, I practiced it yesterday. I always, when I get up here, I get a bit. Anyway, that's beside the point. So he prays for favor. So the next time Nehemiah's in front of the king, Nehemiah's looking a bit sad, not very happy. So the king notices and says, Nehemiah, why are you so sad? And Nehemiah goes, oh, oh. you know, the king back then was all powerful. You know, he was the ruler of the known world. And they weren't really nice. You know, they weren't really kind. And terrified, Nehemiah says, long live the king. <laughs> I would too. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything else to say. Anyway, he prays really quickly. Nehemiah prays really quickly. And he tells the king why he's sad. And he says, oh, king, you know, I'm sad because the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates are destroyed by fire. And the king asks, how can I help you? Isn't that amazing? How can I help you? So Nehemiah says he would like to return to help them. And the king says, how long will you be gone for? And um, Nehemiah lets him know. I don't know ex the exact time. But he also asks for letters so that he can say, um, travel safely through the regions. Um, so he wants letters from the governors of the Euphrates River, west of the Euphrates River, for safe travel. And then he asks for a letter requesting for timber 
to build his own home and also to rebuild the gates. And um, now Nehemiah must have had a lot of favour with the king because the king also sends officers to accompany Nehemiah and horsemen. So he basically sends them a protection. So, you know, Nehemiah actually has favour with God and he has favour with the king. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but God promotes people who are faithful and who show character. You know, Nehemiah was trusted. He made sure that the king didn't get poisoned. So he got to drink the wine. Now, you might think that's a pretty good job, but you might have been poisoned. So no doubt, Nehemiah kept an eye on the king's business, what went on um, in the palace, and also he was considered to be an advisor. So he was a good person, not only for God to choose to go back and build, rebuild the wall, but also the king um, gave him great favour and made sure that he was well taken care of. So he would have released his officers and horsemen to go with Nehemiah. Um, so the officials, Shadbalat, oh, here goes, the Hornonite and Tobiah, the Amorite, heard of Nehemiah's arrival when he arrived in Jerusalem and they're upset. They're not happy that somebody has come to help the Israelites. They really are not happy. And under the cover, so Nehemiah arrives, and under the cover of darkness, he hasn't told anybody why he's there. He goes under the cover of darkness, and he inspects the damage on the um, walls. And he sees that there's so much rubble and it's going to be a really difficult task. And he has a little think about it and how he's going to approach the leaders in, in Jerusalem. You know, sometimes when we start on projects um, or God gives us a word or a prophecy, and it's really quite amazing. And sometimes, you know, it's best to check out the lie of the land or to um, hold it close to yourself, you know, you can get people who you trust to pray with you and to encourage you. But you need to be careful who you share your good stuff with. I know sometimes I've shared my my good stuff and I've been beaten up over <laughs> or people have been really nasty. You know, so in um, Matthew 7 to 6, 7, 6, it says, Do not give what is holy to dogs nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under feet and then turn and tear you in pieces. You know, be, just be really careful. Take care of yourself. You know, I even ask God now, who can I share this with? Because often when you get a prophecy of God or a promise, you know, it's such a big promise and it's so amazing that people might not actually see that potential in you. But God is going to help you. He will help bring about that word that he's given you. 
usually, you, you know, those dreams, you need God's help to fulfill them. Otherwise, they're just, you know, they're not going to happen. So um, Nehemiah, he's got a plan. He's thought about it. He's checked out what, the, um, the wall. And then he goes to see the Jewish leaders. And he has to convince them that the wall needs to be rebuilt. Sometimes you, when you're surrounded by rubble in your life and there's so much happening and you're not doing well, you're not doing good, sometimes you can't really see what needs to be done. So Nehemiah goes and he manages to talk the leaders around and he tells them, listen, we have favour with God and the king has given us favour. We are allowed to do this and we can do it. So... Um, they start to build. In um, New King James um, 2, that's Nehemiah 2, 18b, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to a good work. And then um, their enemies come along again. Sambalat the Hornonite, Tobiah the Amorite official, this time there's an Arab, Jesuhim, laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore we as servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. In chapter 3, the people start rebuilding the wall. And so they've got people coming in from the surrounding towns to come and help because there is just so much to rebuild and it's just such a mess. And um, they even had um, one leader didn't have sons and he had daughters, so his daughters were helping also to rebuild the wall. And, um, you know, they started to get some, some success. Um, they even had... Um, from Mizpah, headquarters of the governor, west of the Euphrates, came and helped. So they had lots of people come in and help. And then in um, Nehemiah, it happened again that their enemies came against them and saw that they actually were managing to rebuild the wall. And their enemies were becoming very concerned because before that, they had the upper hand over the Israelites. And they were really angry, very, very angry with the Jews, and they mocked them. And then he spoke before his, um, he spoke, their enemies spoke before their brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burnt? Now Tobiah the Amorite was beside himself and said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, they will break down the wall. And you know, their enemies actually had no authority over them. So they had... God, the blessing of God, and they had the authority of the king of Persia. 
And you know, he was actually over the army of Samaria. And if the army of Samaria, Samaria was right next to, very close to Jerusalem. If they had laid a finger on them, the king of Babylon, well actually Persia at that time, would have come and dealt very severely with them. So really they had no ground, but it doesn't matter, they still had a go at Israel. And Nehemiah prayed that, you know, God would pay them back for mocking them, giving them a hard time. So, the enemy in Nehemiah 4 to 10, then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. You know, they, they, they've worked and they've gotten some of the wall rebuilt. But there's just so much rubble and the energy of the laborers is failing. And their adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was that the Jews who dwelt near, who dwelt near them, came and said, "From whatever place you turn, we will be upon you." Therefore, I positioned Nehemiah. Said he put men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I will set people according to their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And it happened that when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall and everyone to his work. So, you know, they found out what was going to happen, that the enemies were going to attack them. And so the enemy pulled back. He doesn't really want to have a fight, but he wants to intimidate and scare them. And so the people were actually building some were building, some were protecting. Some were even. Some of them were even building with one hand, with the sword and the other, ready in case their enemies came against them. And there were others that were carrying burdens, also, with weapons in their hands. And every one of the builders with their swords girded at their side as they built, and. There was also someone that would sound the trumpet if they had trouble because it was a big, huge area. Imagine having a rebuild a wall, even just around Ormo. It's huge. It's massive. And um, so it was. But I want you to think about it. You know... Um, When we start rebuilding our lives, you know, when we start to focus on God, when we start seeking Him, 
you know, we start to rebuild our lives and the enemy comes and tries to stop us. Often people will have a, a, a season where they seek God and everything's going really, really well, really well. And then all of a sudden, the enemy starts to attack them. And they go, oh, oh, what's happening here? What's happening here? I thought I was doing the right thing. You know, what's happening to me, God? Well, it's the enemy. He doesn't like you rebuilding your life. He doesn't like you spending time with God. He doesn't like it because he knows that the more you spend time with God, the more you rebuild your life around God, the harder it is for him to come and steal, rob and destroy you. And so he doesn't want you to do it. He's going to do everything. He's going to terrorize you in the middle of the night with demons. And you wake up and go, oh, what's that? Don't forget, you just say, in the name of Jesus, be gone. You know, he does. He is... He will use people to speak against you. He will try and terrorize your family. Don't give up. Be like Nehemiah and the Israelites that rebuilt the wall. You know, you, you continue. Don't stop building your life around Jesus. Just keep going. And with the other hand, you know, seek God. Pray. Ask God. Um, don't forget that you have authority. He's, we, um, the Father gave his authority to Jesus and Jesus gave his authority to us. We can take authority over the enemy. Don't forget the blood of Jesus. You can use the blood of Jesus. Plead it over your family, over your household, over your goods, over the church. You have the blood of Jesus. You also can ignore the enemy. When possible, ignore him. If he starts bad-mouthing you or talking at you and telling you he's going to bump you off or whatever, ignore him. Ignore him. He's like a roaring lion, but he's got no teeth. So, you know, a roaring lion is very intimidating. And it takes a lot of convincing to know he's got no teeth. But the enemy has no <laughs> teeth. So he can't bite. And um, don't forget the armour of God. You know, they put on their armour. They had their shields, their swords, helmets. So I'll read it to you to make sure I don't miss out any of the pieces. So take up the armour of God. Having girded your waist with the bow of truth, so the enemy's a liar, I don't believe this nonsense. Um, put up the breastplate of righteousness, I am righteous in Christ Jesus. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Taking the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So that's Ephesians 6, 13 to 17. You know, we are not without help. And you can ask people to pray for you. We'll stand with you, stepping out for Jesus. You know, we will pray for you. Um, and, you know, we have that authority. There's no argument. The enemy will, will pull back because Jesus will back up his word. You know, the word of God also says, if you resist him, he will flee. 
and that's what you've got to do. Now, when the um, the wall back to Nehemiah um, was complete, was complete, but the wall, the gates had not yet been hung. The enemy tried to trick Nehemiah, um, trick Nehemiah to meet them out of the city, out on the open ground. <laughs> Come on out, we'll kill you. <laughs> don't go, don't go, never ever go. Don't fight the enemy on his terms or out in the open. You know, you are actually seated. We are seated. The word says that we are seated in heavenly places, and that is in... Ephesians 2, 6. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And from there, you fight. You don't fight on the enemy's terms. Never, ever, ever. Never, ever, ever. So. And he, I really love what he says. Nehemiah says, I'm doing a great work. I am not coming down there. Why should the work stop? And they kept asking him. And after four times, they gave up. So they came up with something else. They tried to tell lies. The enemy will try to tell lies about you. Ignore it. Okay? Ignore it. Don't, you know, and he'll get people to say things to you or upset you. You know, don't have a confrontation with them. You'll get angry, and then you might have to repent or apologize. Just don't do it. You know, just you know that you have the king's authority to do what you're doing. You're you're gonna be okay. Don't stick up for yourself. God will stick up for you. You know, if you've got someone that's being nasty or horrible, don't have a confrontation. Uh, you know, unless you really, really have to, don't, because you know the truth. The truth is, you're doing the right thing. And the enemy's trying to sow lies about you. He just wants to get you in a confrontation and you lose your temper. And they also tried to um, trick Nehemiah to go into the temple and lock himself in so they could kill him. Now, God... You know, we have the gifts of the Spirit, and God will actually give you wisdom. The Holy Spirit will actually speak to you and give you wisdom so you don't get yourself into circumstances like this. You know, Nehemiah actually, not only was he a wall builder, but he managed to lead the people. And he had been serving the king, and when he was serving the king, not, so he, he also served the Lord. So he had a lot of wisdom. He had godly wisdom and he had worldly wisdom. He would have known and watched and he would have been chosen for that position that he had as the king's cupbearer. He was trusted and he knew how to handle himself. Actually, when you read through all this, he really knew how to handle himself. You know, he didn't crumble, except for, of course, when the king, he spoke to the, the Persian king, you know, that, that would be a bit scary, and asking for stuff. But he had an idea, and he was able to lead people, 
because he'd been spending time with his godly father and also with the king. Um, when, um, when the Israelites were in Egypt, they were slaves. They didn't start off as slaves, but they became slaves because they were seen as a threat. And when Moses came, Moses was built and um, brought up in Pharaoh's household. So he actually knew and understood how not to be a slave. And he taught the Israelites how to live like kings. And when they got taken into the promised land, they were given the Ten Commandments. And it was really how to live like a king, not like a slave. But when they didn't do the right thing, um, they got sent into exile and they, they went back to slavery. You don't, you know, as Christians, we are kings and priests. And it's a different way of living. We live for God and he gives us wisdom. We're not slaves. You know, we are kings. And we need to live like kings and priests, not like slaves. You know, a slave has to be forced and told what to do. You know, forced to read your word, forced to do the right thing. But a king will do the right thing. And I really want to encourage you. You know, when you start getting <laughs> beaten up by the enemy that you're doing the right thing, don't give up. Don't give up. You're doing the right thing. Keep seeking God. And um, sometimes people think that Christians are weak, but we're not weak. We are called constantly to battle against the enemy. And there, anyway, back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah and the Israelites rebuilt the wall in 52 days with God's help. And that's an amazing feat. So, thank you for letting me come up and share the Old Testament and Nehemiah. So, it's a really good book. There's a lot more in it. So, I recommend that you read the book of Nehemiah. For